Welcome to In the Know by Diane Schindler. This is Diane Schindler speaking. I'm the host of In the Know, the podcast show. I'm an author, a presenter, a solo nomad, a travel blogger, and a photographer. So this podcast show includes writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to this special episode of In the Know. We have a very special guest today, Larry Martin. Let me tell you a little bit about Larry. He began writing early in his medical career in Cleveland, starting with a book about pulmonary medicine, which is his specialty, and the book was written for the lay public. Over the years, he wrote several more medical-themed books, some for physicians and others for the general public. He didn't tackle fiction until as late as 2011 with a novel about Civil War Savannah. And since then, he's published several other fictional works, plus two books for children. Now, he's also won uh, quite a few awards, and we're going to talk about that today. After retiring and moving to the villages in 2015, Larry joined several writing clubs and in 2017 served as president of the Writers League of the Villages. Now, you know, the Villages is located in central Florida. And actually, that is where I met Larry at the Villages. He is currently the Writers League of the Villages newsletter editor, as well as as the website manager. He regularly attends a writing critique group called The Wannabes right there in the, in the villages where we're all wannabes. I love that title. His writing is, is his main retirement interest, but he has another interest, and that is music. He didn't even play a musical instrument, but decided upon retirement that it was a time to learn, starting with the ukulele. And as you may know, Larry is very prolific one thing led to another, and he ended up writing a 140-page book entitled Uke Syllabus, an introduction to basic music theory for the ukulele. It's posted free online. He and his wife are blessed with three wonderful daughters, two in Chicago and one in New York, and five grandchildren. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming today, and welcome to In the Know, Larry. Well, thank you for having me. I mentioned in the introduction, he is incredibly prolific. How many books in total have you written? To date, it's about 22. And all, oh. since, 19, and all since 2011? No, 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 no. I started writing nonfiction back in my medical career with that first book about uh, lung disease for patients. That was back in the 80s. And then I did a lot more medical books in the 90s and uh, the early 2000s, some of the medical textbooks, some of them for the general public. And I began doing fiction seriously around uh, 2011. So probably about a, a third to a half now fiction and the rest are nonfiction. And I go back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. So different genres all, all around. Yeah. Did you always want to write? I think so. I, very early in my career, I just started writing uh, about uh, lung diseases because that was my specialty. And I said, well, you know, I can explain this condition like emphysema or asthma or whatever it was. And I began writing. And before I knew it, I had a book and I sent it to Prentice Hall. That was a major publisher at the time. They published it. It was called Breathe Easy, a book on lung disease for patients and their families. 
And that was my first book. And then every time I get interested in another subject, I wrote a book about it. I just love to write. So that's how it happened. And that's actually how I got into fiction. I decided when you well, I'll try some fiction and I get involved in that. So I have not stuck to one genre, which is sort of the theme of my career, not one genre. That's right. You, yeah, you're all over the map. And so was it a big challenge to move from nonfiction to fiction? Oh, huge, huge. I um, actually wrote my Civil War novel uh, before I moved to the villages. It's about uh, General Sherman in Savannah. I called it Sherman's Mistress in Savannah. And I wrote the entire novel, not knowing what I was doing. And I got to this club, a, a different critique group, and I started reading parts of it in this critique group. And one of the people in the critique group said, well, you know, you keep changing your point of view. I literally didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I had written this novel with conversation and scenes and everything, but I didn't know the mechanics. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know the, the basics of the craft. And it was a big learning curve. So it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was, it was very eye-opening. You, you can't write a novel without knowing anything. That's exactly what I did. Um, although I used to teach writing at the college level, nonfiction writing. But I and I've read a lot, and my undergraduate degree is in English, and so I'll, of course I knew what I I knew what I was doing. <laughs> then I wrote the first novel, and now two years later I look back because I've leveled up my craft over the past two years. I look back and I think, oh boy, little did I know I probably would never have started writing if I started from from gee, how do you write? Yeah, well, one of my goals at some point is to take that first novel and rewrite it but I'm not doing that right now, but that's, that's something I've thought about. Now that I know what I didn't know back then, but still, I'm, you know, I haven't done that yet. I think it's hard to go back. I imagine you have even more ideas that are, seem to be more exciting to you than going back and fixing something, so to speak. Well, since then, I've written two more novels about Civil War Savannah. Those are much more, I think, much more sophisticated because I, I, I knew more when I wrote those. Uh, and it's, it's historical fiction. Right, historical fiction, correct. Well, you know, I was just in Savannah uh, at the end of January, my second visit there, spent a lot of time with tours and bike ridings, and boy, I, so I really am eager to pick up one of your one of your novels. Did you get to go to the Green Meltrum House, which is on Madison Square in Savannah? It's, a, it's, a, it's an old mansion from the Civil War where General Sherman stayed for a month. Interestingly, it's actually open to the public, and when I was, I grew up in Savannah, Oh. I went, when I went to school then uh, in the 50s, it was not open. I mean, these things were closed. A lot of the Civil War sites that you can get to now were not open. And now they've been rehabilitated and they're open to the public. So that's when I went back for high school reunion years ago, I was able to go into that mansion. It's fascinating. I bet it is. You know, all of all of Savannah was fascinating to me. I didn't get to that museum. I can't wait to go back. So I'm eager to to pick up one of those novels about Savannah. And I, I appreciate your writing that. Well, if you do, I would do the third one. It's called Liberty Street, a novel of late Civil War Savannah. That's that's the best one. That's the one that won an award with the Florida Writers Association. Tell us about your awards. Well, when I moved to Florida, I joined Florida Writers Association, which I hope a lot of your listeners are members of. And they had this annual awards uh, competition called the Royal Palm Literary Awards. And I entered that several times. And I've actually won several awards. One of them was for this novel, which won the second place for historical fiction in Florida, which was very gratifying. And I wrote a children's book that won an award. And I've written several short stories that won an award. So 
it, it's a lot of fun to do that. It's just pretty good competition. And uh, anyone who's a member of Florida Riders Association can join this. It's actually ongoing right now. It goes from February 1st to April 30th, and there's like 30 different categories, short stories, uh, novels, nonfiction, anything. So tell me about your role and how you are involved now with the, the Florida's Writers Association. Well, I'm not, uh, I'm very involved with the Villages Writing Group. So Florida Writers Association is a statewide group. Yes. I'm a member, but I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, in, in the administration or anything of like that. I just enter their contests. You, aren't you presenting there next yeah, year? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm on the faculty for the annual convention in October. So I'm going to be presenting three uh, talks on writing, and I'm on three different panels. As what they call, they call it a faculty member. Perhaps you're on it too. I don't know. Maybe. No, I, no, I'm not. But um, so yeah, I'll be in Oct and uh, it's in Altamonte Springs in October, their annual convention. I'll be there uh, on giving three different talks and also on some panels, as well as you know going to their awards banquet. And you know, you never know if you're going to win until you go to that banquet. That's when they announce. Yeah, that's almost the most, that's the most fun, I think. I mean, everything is certainly informative. I went last year, last October for the very first time. It's yeah. a really interesting and uh, informative meeting and I great for networking. And some of the most exciting experiences I had was watching people receive the awards, especially the young kids. It's a, it's a good organization to, to enter the contest. You need to be a member of Florida Rights Association. It's like, I think it's $50 a year. Uh -huh. But it, it's worth it. And they have a, you know, they have blog posts and they have a nice website and they have the award ceremony. Um, they have a lot of things going on. Yeah. So that's the Florida, that's the Florida writers. And then locally in the villages, as you obviously know, because you've been here, we have a very active writing community and we have a dozen writing clubs, uh, critique groups in the Writers League of the Villages, which is sort of like the umbrella organization. And I'm very active in that and I'm very active in one of the critique groups. So there's a lot going on here. There is a lot going on there. I presented in February about the basics of podcasting and um, there were 65 people who attended yeah. and all of them were involved, engaged in all of them, I think, are sort of almost aggressive in their way in which that they approach writing and mar and their marketing of their writing. People all over that room were, were handing me uh, their cards and their guys. well most most people here and probably true in the united states in general retirees are self-published that is they use amazon they publish on kdp and if you self-publish of course you know you also have to self-publicize or self-market or whatever you want to call it exactly so everyone is becoming very knowledgeable here in marketing by necessity they have to do their own you know marketing so that's what you encountered people are very interested in podcasts it's another way of marketing that most people weren't aware of you gave your talk which is very good thank you so it's, it's very interesting anytime someone comes up with a new idea of how to publicize or market your books they're all ears that's right and it's a different you reach a different audience i think with with podcasting them than we're used to reaching Tell us about Lakeside Press. Well, when I started publishing uh, books in the 1990s, uh, I wanted to have my own imprint. And I just uh, thought Lakeside Press sounded like a really good deal. There was a boat club uh, that we belonged to called Lakeside Yacht Club. I said, well, that's a really neat title. I'm going to call it Lakeside Press. I didn't know there was an old Lakeside Press when I did that. I looked it up, but I couldn't find anything like it. Um, it doesn't publish anymore, so it's just Lakeside Press is now me. But it's basically, it's a website I set up called Lakeside Press, and I registered it with the Library of Congress and whatever else you do, and it's been around for 25 years. So whenever I self-publish a book, I say it's published by Lakeside Press, and that's just me. 
and everyone does this now. This was done well before Amazon was even in existence. It was just a website that I created, wrote my books, put them on the website and published them by Lakeside Press. So basically it's a self-publishing uh, company that I set up myself and it's been around for now. Actually, this is, I think the 25th year and it's a website, which I did myself, which needs to be redone and uh, some other related websites. I did a lot of medical websites also, which I put under the same umbrella, but now everyone is doing their own website. They're much more sophisticated now. I did mine in HTML. It was, it's kind of clunky and actually needs to be redone. I, I looked it, at it. It looks pretty good to me. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it's been something I just done. So I was involved very early with the internet. Again, this is before Amazon. Years ago, when I self-published my first book in the early 1990s, I remember I had to take delivery of like a thousand copies of uh, the book. There was no print on demand. And when we moved to Florida, I think I gave away 990 of them. <laughs> That's not true. Is that true? No. Well, I gave away a lot no, of them. You mean, I mean you, you sold one book? That, Larry, come on. That's no, not it, true. When you have books in your garage and you're busy with a medical career, you just don't have time <laughs> to run around and sell them out of your the truck of your car, which is which you almost need to. The print on demand, I've lived through print on demand. It's an amazing advance. People just don't know what it used to be like. Mm -hmm. You wanted to print a publish a book, self-publish a book, you had to either go to one of these rip-off vanity presses or just print get the book printed by a printer and take delivery and put them in your garage or attic or wherever. <laughs> Very different now, much, much, much easier. Now they say the best news about self-publishing is anybody can do it. And the worst news about self-publishing is anybody, anybody can, do, can it. do it. And the Vanity Press, for, this, for, the, for our audience, give us a description of Vanity Press. Wow. Well, Vanity Press, um, years ago, it was a, uh, about the only way one could self-publish a book, other than just printing it themselves and putting it in their garage, was to spend thousands of dollars with a Vanity Press. The situation is still the same. It's, we think of Vanity Press as a place where you go to get your book published, but their, their, their business model is not to sell books to the public. Their business model is to sell books and services only to the author. So that's my definition of a Vanity Press. I, I agree with so you. And what happens is you end up paying a lot of money for someone to publish price. your book and they don't market it necessarily. And they don't market What they do is they'll price the book, say a paperback that might ordinarily sell for $12, they'll price it at $25. No one will ever buy it, but then they'll sell it to the author for a big discount of $15. And that's their marketing. That, that to me is what a vanity press is. That's very different from a self-publishing company that is not out to just take your money, but is actually out to help you market books. And there are those that, like that out there. Yeah. But then there's also complete self-publishing on your own, which is based with KDP or Ingram Spark, which is what most people here now use, mm -hmm. um, where you are in complete control and you get all the royalties or a uh, large percentage of the royalties, complete control, and you haven't signed any copyright over to anybody. Yeah. But there's traditional publishing like, you know, like Random House and companies like that. Then there's Vanity Press, which I recommend people should avoid. And then there's a uh, true self-publishing either by yourself or with a company that does strict uh, fee for service and is very legitimate, will help you get your book out. Any reader who wants to self-publish uh, comes across a company, typically they'll advertise on the internet, you'll see them in your email box. Any company you come across, do your research, go to the internet, research that company. If you do enough research, you'll generally find if it's really a legitimate company you want to do business with, 
or if they're just out to sell you books and have no interest whatsoever in truly publishing or marketing your book to the general public. Usually, can, you, I think you can find this information on the internet if you search far enough just by Googling the name of the company that you're thinking of doing business with. The good news also is to ask your friends, ask all your fellow writers and your wannabe writer friends to make sure that you're going down the right path. So tell us about the novel that you want to talk about. What Just Land in the Villages is a, it's actually a novella, which means it's less than 30,000 words. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a tongue in cheek spoof on the villages, positing that something from outer space lands on the golf course, a huge object. It's like a half a mile high. And of course, this means there's life on other planets and the whole world goes agog about this thing and just wants to come in and touch it and see it. But the villages are mainly just annoyed. <laughs> they, they, can't get the right. they can't get the Tai Chi, they can't get to their golf game, they can't get to the lifestyle things they want to do because all of a sudden the National Guard has invaded the villages to protect the place. And so it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek, humorous novella about how the villages react to this giant object from outer space versus the rest of the world. And one village communicated with by binary code and tries to go meet the aliens. It's, it's got that kind of thing. It's a novella, yeah. though. And when I wrote this thing, I read it to my critique group, and they liked it. Of course, we're villagers, so, you know, what's not to like? But I also put it in with 11 short stories that I've written, several of those of which I won awards. So it's like a, it's a really an, an amalgam of the novella and anthology, I guess. Well, I, I think it's probably considered a collection of your works, right? Yeah, a collection. Mm -hmm. And I also put in, because when you self-publish, you can do whatever you want. I put in some excerpts of my novels, including the ones that won awards. So it's an anthology or a collection of my work. And again, it's, it's my own personal vanity project. Well, I did it myself. I did, you know, self-published through KDT. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like to me you have a good story and you have a series of your own uh, short stories. And also you've done a little marketing by putting excerpts in there from your other work. Right. That's great. When did you publish it? January of this year. Is it going well? Well, it goes as well when I spend time marketing, it goes well. It's very interesting question because when you spend time marketing, by that I mean posting on Facebook, uh, getting some ads on Amazon, paying, even getting some ads on Facebook, giving talks about it. You see a blip in sales, or you see a blip in uh, what they call pages read on Kindle, which does bring in some money. And then when you don't do that, then it falls back. So it hasn't caught on like taking off or anything. Yeah. It's it, again, this is a problem with all self publishers. They've got to do their own marketing. But I know people who've actually had books published with traditional royalty publishers recently, and they've told me the same thing that they've still got to do their own marketing. No, that's what that I hear the, too. Uh, except for a few blockbuster bestsellers, the publisher is not going to spend money marketing your book. And it takes so long. People here, I think it's true all over the country probably, they self publish because they like to write. They really enjoy the interactions with other writers and the, uh, that goes with it, but they don't expect to make a living off of it or to retire off the money or to make a killing or anything like that. That's not what they're in it for. What are you in it for? Because I enjoy doing it. It's really been, uh, you know, I enjoy doing it when I do uh, get people who read it and say they like it. That's very gratifying. I've made a little bit of money. I mean, I don't, I've probably covered my expenses. Mm -hmm. uh, my bestseller is actually a medical textbook, which has been published for like 25 years, but that's a textbook. So that's nothing I've done recently, but you know, 
you never know when you're going to hit it big when you when you're going to you know become successful so it's it's fun it is fun i'm i'm interested in people reading the book that's all you know marketing i have fallen into some good situations through no effort on my own that have caused my book to do well and then it doesn't <laughs> you know it's just like there's a blip in the screen right. and, again, and i just fell into it it's not anything that i did and i did the facebook ads i did the and i really am not very patient with that stuff i would rather write exactly we had a woman talk to us a couple of years ago who was very very active at facebook and she said she pays an assistant $200 a month just to post on Facebook and keep up with social media because she doesn't have the time to do it. It's, a, it's very time consuming. It's uh, a lot of work. And like you and me and probably most of us, we'd rather just write. And what are you working on now? Well, two things. First of all, I'm preparing all a bunch of entries for the uh, Royal Palm Literary Awards for the Florida Writers Association. So to prepare those, I've got the, I've just about done with those. I wanted to submit several short stories, including the novella we just talked about. So I had that done. And uh, when you submit to them, they have very strict formatting requirements and so forth. So I had to make sure that was done properly. And now I'm writing nonfiction. <laughs> I'm writing about a, um, so I put, back, I put my medical hat back on and I'm writing about, you ready for this? Hyperbaric yes. oxygen therapy. Say that again. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy. What is that? Okay, so, so you go into a chamber and they increase the pressure and give you 100% oxygen, like for the diver's bins or for carbon monoxide poisoning. It's a, it's a very um, important medical therapy. And you might ask, well, why are you writing about that? Yes. Why are you writing about that? <laughs> it turns out that here in the villages, they're going to open up very soon the world's largest hyperbaric oxygen facility, the largest in the world, to treat pre-dementia situations or what they call early cognition problems. And they plan to get attract people from all over the world for this. This is huge. It's the biggest in the world. It's going to be right here in the village. It's just about completed. And I went to a talk about it given by a physician from Israel, and I became fascinated. I knew a lot about hyperbaric oxygen to begin with, but that was in my field of pulmonary medicine. And I, you know, I, I was very familiar with it from a medical point of view, but this is, this is beyond treating divers bends or carbon monoxide poisoning. This is to treat what they call early cognition instances where you forget things or you're not thinking straight. And actually, the name of their program is called Reverse Aging. That's if you go to their website, just do Reverse Aging the Villages, you'll see their website. Hmm. And they plan to attract people from all over the country for this. And I became fascinated in the physiology of it, which I knew something about. So I'm writing a series of articles for my writing group right now, just to read in my writing group. And it's a fascinating topic because they, their goal is to uh, try to reverse aging among senior citizens or people approaching senior citizen age group. And so I became interested in that. So I'm writing about that. So the key word that I just heard is they're trying to reverse aging. That's what they call reverse aging. So is there scientific ed evidence at this point that it... Well, 
that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question. So I've read all the. I've, I've been reading all the medical articles, you know, written by physicians for physicians. There is some evidence that in early, what they call early cognition issues, like you forget things that it can imp be improved with hyperbaric oxygen. The problem is that it's extremely expensive and it's not covered by insurance. So when I brought this up, they countered the people who are developing this facility said that this is not a facility just for people living in the villages. This is for the entire country. It just happens to be located here and they're going to attract people from all over the country. Hmm. It takes three months of therapy to go through the program. So I'm writing about that. Wow, that is very interesting and certainly timely when we think about what half the population is elderly now, something like that. Well, yeah, the problem is it, they're not trying to treat actual dementia, which is too far gone at present to be treated. Mm -hmm. It's the early, early signs. Very early. And even people who our age group who feel that they could get some benefit by thinking clearer or thinking better, who knows? can go. The problem again is that self-pay is extremely expensive, but they think they're going to get the population to do this. And they're probably right because they track, it's the only one in the country that's going to be here and they're going to get a lot of publicity for it. Yes, they are. And the villages is a good spot, don't you think? I think it's a great spot, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, a, uh, this is the place. I mean, I don't know how many actual villages residents will be doing this as opposed to people who don't live here. So if this might turn into a book, uh, a nonfiction book, I don't know yet. I'm just writing the basic outline right now. Mm -hmm. the basic, and I'm reading it to my writing group and they're finding it interesting, so. Yeah, I'm finding it interesting just listening to you talk about it. <laughs> I went from writing the you know, tongue-in-cheek novella about a spaceship landing on the villages, golf course, now I'm writing nonfiction medical. So you can see how it's all over the place. So, yeah, so Dr. Larry Martin, Larry, you are a conundrum. I mean, you are all over the map in terms of your interests. Now, that's one thing to be interested in everything, but it's another thing to write about everything you're interested in. How does that happen with you? Well, first of all, I like to write. And so I, I wrote that syllabus I wrote about, um, I wrote two music syllabuses about music theory, which I know mm -hmm. nothing about when mm -hmm. I started out. I started playing the ukulele and the piano in retirement, and I wanted to learn about it. I find I learn about something much easier if I write about it than if I just read about it. Oh. If I read about it, I forget what I read. I just forget about it. I, it doesn't stick. But if I, if I have to explain it to somebody else, yes. I remember it. Yeah. And so I, that's what teachers do. You know, they, right. you have to teach a topic. When you have to tell someone else about the topic, you know, you have to do your homework to make sure. And then you have to explain it in a way that that person can understand. So right. that is the best way to learn. I volunteered to give a talk on hyperbaric oxygen to one of our discussion clubs here in the villages. We have a lot of these discussion clubs. And in order to do this, it'll be like a PowerPoint slide presentation on hyperbaric oxygen. In order to do it, I've got to do the research. I've got to, I got to know what I'm talking about. I can't set up in battle. Writing about something or giving talks about it is my way of learning. So they have a brand new hotel that opened up this weekend with a Wolfgang Puck restaurant. And right next to it, physically right adjacent to it, is this new Brownwood Medical Facility, which is going to be a specialty clinic. And in that clinic is going to be the hyperbaric facility. So this is another example of how the village is growing exponentially. Yes, it is. Well, I hope to come back to the villages. I have a couple of other topics 
that the writers group may not be interested, but in some other topics that other like groups what, may. Like what would it be? Well, I'm, you know, um, since this is, this is really about you, but for a moment, it's about me. You know, I went to your writers group meeting last week where we did the characterization fair. Right, right. And my topic was supposed to be my travels because I'm a, I was a solo nomad for four years and traveled the world. And, um, but people started asking me about, you know, my recommendations. And one thing that we came upon with health insurance health insurance for travel. Uh -huh. And I've had a lot of experiences with that. And I've had some negative experience. I had a bad experience with, with my claims being denied by my health insurance company to the tune of $25,000 when I, wow. ran, yes, when I ran into uh, retina tear issues when I was in Kosovo and my health insurance company denied all of my claims when I had definite information, including a, a an email from this health insurance company said that I would be covered for an emergency care. Well, retina tear is clearly emergency care. I couldn't find an attorney to help me because it would be $250,000 to pay an attorney to try to get $25,000. Wow. I, I finally found this little known organization run by nurses PhD nurses who care for the elderly, and I'm in that category, and also now go to bat, so to speak, for those who have, who have whose claims have been denied. And so I told this whole story about it, this, and I did get my $25,000 back, and I paid my, my, what I call my angel, my angel nurse, I paid her, I think, a total of $800, and she got me all that money back. So, so this group at the characterization fair said, you need to tell your story. And I thought, I know. And what happens here locally, people want me to speak to their groups and tell my story. And, and you know what? I'm happy to do that. But it's a lot of work, and I'm happy and eager to share people share the information but it's who would you give the talk to here in the villages well i was thinking about the a travel group and it's anybody who really would is interested in travel how how to find good travel health insurance because i know about that too and also this agency that will come in and i know what you're thinking it's like i can read your mind i need to write a book So to summarize what we've talked about, we've certainly mentioned the many books that you have written and for the audience, they know if they look at the details of this podcast episode, they will find information about your book. They will find a brief bio, a link to your website called Lakeside Press, as well as way in which to buy your books. And currently you're working on a new nonfiction. I'm looking forward to hearing what happens with your efforts as you apply for awards from the Florida Writers Association. So we'll, I, know in, we'll know in October. And hopefully the coronavirus thing will be in abeyance by then and everything will take place, but one never knows for sure. So. I really wish you could look into the crystal ball and tell us yeah. when this is going to end. 
Any last comments for the good of the whole, Larry? No, I think that um, if any prospective writers are out there, my advice would be the old cliche is that writers write. They just get down and do it. Don't worry about spelling and punctuation and grammar. Initially, people get too caught up in, oh, just write the thing. Yeah. You know, and, then, yeah. and then the other advice I would give is try to get into a critique group. They are really invaluable because you don't know what mistakes you yourself have made if someone else reads it or hears it. Thank you so much, Larry, for, for uh, sharing your information with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to In The Know. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing and sharing it with your family and friends. You can like this episode, leave a comment, and even add a rating. Your support is very important to the success of In The Know. Thank you for listening and see you next time.